The nail in the coffin! Welcome to the Nail in the Coffin. I'm Tom Valentino. He is Travis Yuli. Trav, how you doing, buddy? Doing good, Tino. How you doing, man? I'm great. Uh, I'm very excited because last night, for what felt like the first time in forever, we actually had some new sports content to watch. And uh, it was the, the Jordan and the Bulls documentary, The Last Dance. We got the first two hours out of ten. Uh, that the uh, full series is going to run. I watched it, and I believe you did too. What would you think of it? I did. Um, it was, I don't know, it was, I wasn't as, I guess, like obsessed as people were online. I think the general theme on Twitter seemed to be like, oh my God, this is amazing. I found it interesting, but it wasn't like, I didn't find it riveting, and I don't like, I don't know, I don't, I, I wasn't as blown away by it as many people were. I thought there was, a couple cool things, but really it was more like that first episode where they're kind of trying to like lay the foundation for the next probably eight. So um, maybe I shouldn't have expected the first, the first part of it to be super intriguing and super interesting, but um, it was okay. And yeah, I mean, it it laid the foundation pretty well. Um, I was a little, I don't know. I I thought it was kind of weird how it just kept bouncing around like where it is in the story. Like one minute we're showing Jordan growing up. Then he's at North Carolina. Then it's 1998 again. Then it's his rookie season. Then it's 98 again. Then it's Scottie Pippen in like 95 trying to get a new contract. Like all this stuff is just all over the place. And it, it, I don't know. It was, it was it was hard at times to really know what they were, um, like where they were going with it. Um, but yeah, like I said, I thought it was okay. It was it probably liked it more than I normally would have because like you said, I haven't had anything new to really get into in quite some yeah. time. So. From that respect, it was probably probably much needed. I think we all all can be grateful for that. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. Full props to Fox Sports Ohio for the past week airing the entire 2016 NBA Finals in full one game each night. It's good to have those games on my DVR now. Um, watching, what was it, uh, I think Friday night when uh, you, me, and uh, some of our friends uh, jumped on a, a Zoom call having uh, game six on in the background. Everybody remembers game seven. Game six was a hell of a lot of fun. Oh, um, it was electric. This, that was a great yeah, game. That was, that, that's one of my favorite games ever. And, and just the, the home crowd for that. And it was, that was, that was just great. But um, even having said that, you know what happens there. And th- last night with the documentary, that was the first time in what felt like a month, I think, that we've gotten like new sports content with a lot of footage. Like, yeah, it's going back through Jordan's career. And, you know, we all know the highlights and stuff like that. But it really, you're getting a lot of new perspectives, a lot of behind the scenes footage. And uh, it was kind of cool to see everybody online kind of rally around that and just how excited everybody was for that. Um, clearly they had a lot of people watching. I, I wasn't on online much today, but I saw the uh, ratings for that. They had like 6 million people watching, which for a documentary is just an ungodly number. Um, so, uh, you know, that was, that was pretty cool. Um, I just to back up, I, to give people a little bit of background, if they were 
how much had you heard about this before the uh, before the premiere aired last night? Had you been kind of reading up on this a lot and preparing for it, or were you in the boat of like, yeah, I heard this Bulls documentary is coming out and they're moving up the start date. I guess I'll check it out. There's nothing else going on. I've been hearing about it for a while. I feel like just sort of in passing. I wasn't really like tracking when it was coming or like anxiously awaiting it um, the way some people were. And then, of course, obviously, when like most of the sports stuff got shut down and, and everyone started to realize, hey, we're not going to have shit to do for the next few weeks. Um, when when the uh, when those voices started to chime up like, hey, ESPN, how about not sitting on this thing and how about release it now? Um, then I looked into it a little bit more and, and sort of saw what was going on there. So. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I wasn't, I was only people who was like marking his calendar and couldn't wait for it, but it was only things I probably would have, would have caught when it came out eventually anyways. Yeah. That was kind of where I was at. I was in the boat of, of just kind of feeling like, yeah, I'll, I'll get around to watching this eventually. And I heard, you know, like you said, people were kind of pushing ESPN to move this thing up given the lack of options right now. And I was a little concerned about that because I didn't want them to rush this and have it be half-assed just to get something on the air quickly. And at least from the first two episodes we got last night, I don't think that was the case at all. Um, Just such a really interesting backstory as to how this came together. And this is where I started getting really interested in this. Over the weekend, I was listening to some podcasts and reading some articles with uh, one of the, the producers and just how this whole thing came together. There was a filmmaker in i guess 97 98 who had convinced um jordan and the bulls to basically give him all access and the way that they did that and the way that they you know the reason that they agreed was that jordan was given like full control over what would happen with that footage and they sold him on it like hey look just let us record all this stuff and you know it can make an incredible documentary. And if you're not comfortable with it, ever seeing the light of day, if nothing else, you'll have some amazing home movies for your kids someday. And this footage is just like sat around forever. And it was one of these things where like nobody had access to it. I think it was at the uh, NBA entertainment offices, just kind of stored away under lock and key. There had been like a short version produced, that uh you know uh had started making the rounds and in some very tight circles and uh jordan was like never really willing to to let this go and and let it be done and finally this producer uh tolan uh, mike mike tolan i think his name is uh got a meeting with jordan's associates and uh got a meeting with uh, with jordan himself and uh the meeting took place during the Cavs championship parade in 2016 and i i love that little wrinkle to this i kind of wonder if like seeing a really good presentation of an idea combined with you know watching what lebron just did and starting to hear all the buzz about lebron being like the new goat and you know the warriors that year having won more games than the 96 bulls if he finally was like yeah somebody needs to you know might be time to to unlock this and uh, remind people who the hell I am. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah they, I think they, what would the kids call that LeBron living? Was it rent free? Is that what they call rent it? free? That's exactly rent, right. Is that how they, <laughs> what they call it? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Uh, someone I saw someone post that today. They said, "Hey, uh, they said yeah, in one in a matter of matter of two weeks, um, LeBron was able to make Draymond Green cry and Michael Jordan sign off on." 
a documentary to protect his legacy. Um, but yeah, right. he's not the greatest. He gets okay. <laughs> right. Everyone, everyone in, in, I don't know. I have, I have qualms watching it and you saw sort of what I was mentioning uh, on the internet today as well. It's like, I, I don't know. The things that people seem to be loving about Jordan are things that they would hate if anyone else did them. Like he's going around just like taking digs at Jerry Krause for no apparent reason, just like making fun of Jerry Krause, like to his face and like being rude and, and disrespecting it. If you found out that like any, if, 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 the, if all these people who love Jordan and hate LeBron found out that LeBron was doing that to, I don't know, David, whoever, right? David Griffin, when he was the Cavs, and be talking about what a cancer LeBron is and how terrible he is and all this stuff. Um, and everyone seemed to think it was like kitschy and humorous and, and charming last night. And I'm like, where, what is this double standard that we're holding him to? I realize everyone loves Michael Jordan. I realize that like, yes, he's widely accepted as the best player of all time, but we're really actor, acting like all of the things he did were good. Um, are we, are we incapable of looking at him from any sort of um, critical lens whatsoever? Is that where we're at now? I don't know. Well, two, two big takeaways I had from last night was number one, um, he is every bit as hyper competitive as you know all the stories make him out to be. And hearing, you know, secondhand how he'd get on teammates in practice and stuff like that. You got glimpses of that last night. Um, and you definitely can see the different mindset where I think LeBron would understand uh you know, load management and, you know, the value in, in resting here and there. Whereas Michael Jordan, what was his second year? And he's like sneaking off to North Carolina to go play five on five games. Cause the bulls won't let him play in NBA games. Um, that that might've been that little story there had to probably had the best line of the night with um, if I, if you had a headache and I told you nine of these pills would cure your headache and one of them would kill you. Uh, are you still going to take one of the pills? Well, how fucking bad is my headache? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I thought that was good. Uh, The second thing that we learned, you know, you said he made fun of Jerry Krause for no reason. Uh, I would respectfully disagree with that. Jerry Krause uh, sucked and I don't blame him at all for, yeah, he was, he he did a great job of building that team. Um, and I could kind of sort of see where Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner, was coming from feeling like they had some players that were part of that group who were probably on the back nine of their careers and were about to get really expensive and not, you know, diminishing returns or whatever. Um, but to Jordan's point in there, you know, this is this is a dynasty. This is a team that's gunning for its sixth title in eight years. You got to let that team win. You got to let them go for it. And if they get beat and they finally get dethroned, okay, then you pull the plug on it. And um, I, I guess I didn't really remember. I, I could remember the talk. So what is it? Wait, what, is it what is it called? If what is it called? If you have like a budding dynasty, you win three in a row and then you retire to go play baseball. Um, an off the record gambling suspension. <laughs> yeah, let's not get it. Let's not get into that too deep. I doubt any of that. No, we're gonna save that one for another day. I, I've told you for a long time. I want to do a favorite conspiracies episode, and that's gonna definitely be on the list. But that that's for another day. Go on. No, that was. I mean, that's sort of my larger point. Like, I don't. I don't think. Um, 
I don't think Jerry Krause necessarily um, necessarily the guy like dictating the the long term vision of the team. Um, I think you kind of have to you can you can criticize Reinsdorf for that if you want if if because if he goes to him and says hey you know Scotty's a guy who's I don't know what's he looking to get probably fifteen twenty million next year. Um, it's funny I went and looked at all these contracts. It is unbelievable how little people how little guys made back then. Oh yeah, like the salary cap was like thirty million dollars. It is insane. Well, check out. I think uh, our our pal Kevin Kleps had a tweet with Scotty Pippen's year by year salaries, and if you just look at like what he made each year with the Bulls, and then I completely forgot he went to the Rockets for a year. I remembered mm-hmm. him playing in Portland, but I did Portland, not yeah. remember him playing in Houston at all. So if you look at like his one year in Houston and then the few years he played with the Trailblazers, like how dramatically his salary jumped up and where, and I think it was like, and then he played like his last two years, I think with the bulls. So it was like, he was only out of Chicago for, I want to say three, maybe four years. And that accounted for over 70% of his career earnings. Yeah, it's crazy. And the the thing that's weird is, is, like 96, 97, um, or maybe not nice, maybe the year before that, 95, 96, like he was only making, like Scotty was only making, I think maybe like three-ish million, something right. like that. Jordan was only making, Jordan was making less than four. Like in, 90, in the 95, 96 season, Jordan, I just looked it up, Jordan only made 3.8 million. And then really? he got a huge jump and was making 30 million the following season. Okay. So like they were all relatively easy. Even the thing is, in his second season in the league, Scottie Pippen signed a seven-year contract. Like, okay, if you want that and you want to take that guaranteed money, that's on you. You don't get the bitch about outplaying your contract at that point. Like, yeah, that's, and Ryan even was telling him, like, I think you're. I don't think this is smart. Yeah. We're happy to give you this deal, but like, you could probably make a lot more later. Right. Um, but uh, no, what I was going to say with Jerry Krause that I just thought was so strange was like how eager he was to break that group up and including like trying to force Phil Jackson out the door. You know, it, it I kind of wonder, you know, it's one thing if like they are making it clear that they're rebuilding and Phil Jackson's like, I'm not in a position in my career where I want to be like starting back at square one. I, I'm I'm good. I'm I'm done. But like I, the impression I got from watching the documentary last night was that he was in no hurry to leave, and they basically told him like, "Okay, you can coach one more year, but when we rebuild this, you're out of here." Which is just completely bizarre to me that they would do that. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's it kind of uh, weird. Like I don't I don't know. I I feel like they reached a point where. I mean, the salary cap in, in 99 was $30 million. Michael Jordan mm. was making $30 million. Like, they right. weren't going to be able to give Scotty a bunch of money. They weren't going to be able to pay Dennis Rodman. Like, they they were going to have to rebuild. It was going to be Jordan and a bunch of fucking vet minimums. And Yeah, I mean, you I, get I into, like, they, bird they, rights they and all that. To, but... They sort of had, yeah, I mean, but they... They weren't going to go way over the salary cap to like right, yeah. I it was the, I mean, the salary rules were different back then. Yeah, I don't know what exact how exactly that worked. Obviously, they were going over it at some point because they were already paying Jordan thirty million and they were paying everybody else. But um, right, 
I, I think they sort of looked at it and they're like, well, we can't really get rid of Michael Jordan. You know, that's not an option. But the rest of you, yeah, unfortunately, Michael's taking all the money and he deserves it. Like, I'm not, not a criticism of him. Okay. Some, you're absolutely worth that money. Go for it. We can't afford to pay everyone else, too. Um, this is going to be, and, and truthfully, if you look at it from that perspective, um, allowing Michael to sort of go out on top, giving him the option, like, hey, you can either play here and make, you know, the absolute maximum amount possible. You can get your $30 million and, and be happy and win 40-some games a year and, and probably be a second round out. Or you can do this one more time, retire, go out on your own, well, not on your own terms, opposite of your own terms, really, but um, you can go out on top and, and th- have this incredible story, and that's what he went with. Um, yeah. I just think you look at how much money they were spending, and, and I don't, I, I just can't imagine that at the time they were, it's probably a lot like the Cavs were a few years ago when they were spending all this money in and Dan Gilbert went way over the salary cap and he was paying luxury tax out of his ass. He was scraping by to make money. Um, the TV deals weren't as big then, or obviously weren't as big 20 years ago. All that stuff was not like it is now. So I don't know. Maybe they weren't really making much money and they realized, hey, we've won six titles here. We're hemorrhaging money though. Like we, this might be time to like cut our losses and, and, and take what we can get. Um, mm. I don't know. I, I, I would be interested. Klepps would probably be a good guy to, to talk to. He can, he probably has a little better feel for what the financial landscape was like back then. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It was just, it was, it was an interesting angle because yeah, if you're right. If we look at it from this perspective, it'd be like looking at, um, I don't know, look at the, look at the Warriors and if they went and if Durant didn't sign as a free agent, but they went to them and said, Hey, we're breaking this team up. We can keep paying all you guys, but we're not going to. You, it's hard to imagine in today's environment for sure. But I don't know. It's 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 a weird, a weird situation they were in, and I, I don't know. I I feel like, like I said, I feel like yesterday I probably laid the foundation more. I think I'll probably have stronger feelings the closer the you know the further we get into this thing. Yeah, I'm I'm very interested to see the rest of this and how the rest of the story plays out. I think next week is going to be tying in the years that they played the Pistons, which I'm guessing probably means we're going to get a drive-by on the Cavs with the shot because that would be right in the same time range of 89. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm not quite looking forward to that as much, but uh, the, the Bulls-Pistons and Dennis Rodman, I think, is going to be kind of the central character of the next episode, because which makes sense, obviously, because right. he was right. on the, the Bad Boys-Pistons and then the second half of the Bulls dynasty, he was – a key part of that group. Um, I was going to ask you this. Did you ever get a chance to see Jordan play in person? No, no. Um, I actually didn't go to, I didn't go to a Cavs game until, I until I was out of high school. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I never, I never went to a Cavs game as a kid. So you never made it out to like the Coliseum then for anything, nope. I'm guessing. Nope. Oh, that was a good building. Great place to watch basketball. Obviously, it didn't have all the bells and whistles of like a, a modern arena or anything like that, but a great venue. But yeah. no, uh, Jordan's last game in Cleveland, I mean, that was by the time the Cavs had moved back downtown, obviously, and it was in this season here that that they're um, uh, showing on this documentary series. Uh, I actually went and saw the Bulls play in Jordan's last game in Cleveland with the Bulls. So it was like April of 98. 
was not so I, it wasn't the game that they briefly showed last night. That was the beginning of the season, but um, yeah, it was it, it was kind of fun. I was trying to look the game up online, and somebody uploaded the full game on YouTube. I'll link to it in the uh, the notes for this episode. But it was kind of fun to to see that, and I, I don't know why they would have done that because it wasn't anything particularly remarkable. Um, Jordan that night, I think he had like 18 or 19 points in the first quarter and we were all kind of buzzing like, oh man, here he goes. But he didn't even finish with 30. I think he ended up with like 29 and the Cavs won the game, but, um, it was really cool getting to see him in, in person once. So, um, yeah, that was a good memory for me and, uh, bugging my dad to like, we got to go down there. We got to see him play once. I think my dad had been to some Cavs Bulls games in the past. If I remember right, but uh, getting to see him once um, was right up there. The other one that I always think about a lot was um, about uh, probably would have been like six years earlier when the Cavs were still at the Coliseum and Orlando came in, and I got to see Shaq play as a rookie. That was pretty cool. Oh, interesting. Yeah. He, and, uh, how did he look as a rookie? Was he everything you'd expect him to be? Yes. And what was awesome about that, the Jordan game in 98, we were sitting like way up at the 200 level. I didn't care. I just wanted to be there. I just wanted to say I saw Michael Jordan in person. But the game against the Magic in 92, um, my dad had friends who had been season ticket holders for the Cavs since like the franchise started in 1970. So they had seats that were like three rows behind the bench. And my dad would get those tickets like once or twice a year. And the one time we went, it was, it was that shack game. So we were sitting like right down by the benches. I can't tell you like how enormous he looked, even as a rookie. It just, it was, you watch it. It just looks like it blew your mind to see like a guy that big and imposing. And the one play that sticks out in my mind from that game was he either got an alley-oop or just a straight dunk, and he crushed it so hard that by the time they were down at the other end of the floor and the other, you know, the Cavs were putting up a shot, the backboard was still swaying down at Orlando's end where he had dunked because he hammered <laughs> it that hard. And that was the season. I think he actually, like, broke two rims during the year. He did. So. Uh, yeah, he had, some, he had quite, a, uh, quite a list of uh... – venues mm-hmm. that he broke broke equipment and whatnot but yeah that uh, was that was fun um i think we also got to see the celtics in in those seats at the coliseum when uh it was like one of larry bird's last ever games in cleveland it wasn't the playoff series when uh, when the Cavs knocked them out in 92 but um but yeah it was it was a regular season game and that that was that was pretty cool too so Nice. Um, I just, I love looking at like this 90s NBA footage in general. Just a mid 90s NBA aesthetic is one of my favorite time periods in sports with just like the ridiculous uniforms. I mean, like the Bulls were obviously classic and they basically had the same uniforms now. But I mean, the Cavs had the electric blue and black. And, uh, you know, some of their teams had crazy uniforms. You had the NBA on NBC with. You know, round ball rock. Um, this '98 season, I think the only uh, downer was uh, that was when uh, Marv Albert was uh, not working for NBC after his, uh, shall we say, uh, uh, off the clock uh, <laughs> indiscretions, and we'll leave it extra at that. Extracurricular so, activities. Yes, yeah, extracurricular activities. Yes. 
Um, takes on a new meaning sometimes. Yeah. So yeah, Bob Costas doing the the finals, which uh, not a great play by play guy. Never really did it for me. But um, otherwise, uh, yeah, because uh, NBA TV was showing the. 98 all-star game a few weeks ago and so that was from the season and that was at madison square garden which is like one of my favorite buildings to watch games in on tv just perfect sight lines and you know you had all these awesome players the rosters at that point were loaded it was a good time but uh yeah um good uh good fun last night and uh nice to have something new to watch and uh I uh, got to thank the wife because she uh, she was on a call with uh, a bunch of uh, her friends and that wrapped up early. And she's like, hey, you want to watch something? And I'm like, I'm sorry, not tonight. I got to watch this. This is like appointment <laughs> viewing. I've had no real sports to watch in a month. And she's like, yeah, I understand. It's a running joke in my house. It puts you this way. You know, how much uh, sport? I mean, sports is like 90% of my TV consumption. I'll admit that like, um, my daughter for um, one of her school assignments had to write a three page story with pictures and her three pages were uh, my dad likes sports. My dad is obsessed with sports. I like sports too. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. I will say that like, there's a lot of negatives to this, to what's going on, like to this uh, shelter in place, quarantine, whatever the hell we're calling it now. Um, I honestly, I, I don't want to simplify it to something that's ultimately as meaningless as sports kind of are in the grand scheme. The the weirdest thing I, to me is at night when I'm looking for something to turn on and I don't have any games to go to. Yeah. Like, like I do <clears throat> yeah. watch, I, I, I watched the, let's see, what have I watched lately? I watched the 2002 Ohio state Miami game the other day it was on. Um, I watched, so a weird phenomenon that happened to me the other day. I was flipping through and on, uh, I think it was on big 10 network. Um, they were replaying the Ohio state, Wisconsin game from 2016 that went, um, that went overtime. And I think you'd be hard pressed to find many other instances where this happened. It was a close game and it went overtime. I could not remember a second of this game. It was the was most, the it, one, was, it was, was very in- bizarre to me. Was this the game that was in Columbus where Ohio State was like wearing the all gray uniforms? No, it was in Wisconsin. Um, it was at Wisconsin. They got down. Oh, like, it was Wisconsin. I was thinking this is Ohio State, Penn State. You said Wisconsin. Okay. No, 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 no. Yeah. Ohio State, Wisconsin. It was at Wisconsin. Um, I remember the Penn State game you're talking about. Um, yeah. I like, I have asked my wife, like, she, I always ask her, and she, I don't know why I still ask her because she never does, but I always ask her, Hey, do you remember this game? She'll say, <laughs> no, why would I remember this? Oh, it was the one where uh, JT Barrett completed 13 passes in a row in the fourth quarter. And they came back from like two touchdowns down. He threw that touchdown to Marcus Barr from like 25 yards out. She's just like, no, still no. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but like with Ohio state, I have this weird, weird memory about apparently not every game, but most games um, specifically like close ones. And for the life of me, I'm watching this game. I'm like, I don't, I keep thinking, I'm like, eventually it's going to click. And I'll be like, oh yeah, now I remember. No yeah. recollection whatsoever of it. It was so that's weird. It's weird. It was a bizarre feeling. Yeah. But yeah. I, uh... That's. I mean, that's what we're, resor- we're, we're watching games. And I, I was driving in the car the other day. And it was playing like a, I think it was an AFC title game from like 1992 or something on the radio. And my wife was like, why are we listening to this? I'm like, yeah, even <laughs> I don't have a good answer for you. <laughs> Radio. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. 
We were driving um, uh, from Columbus back up here. Yeah, I get it. I that's funny. Um, well, the next uh, I, I guess uh, big viewing opportunity we're going to have is going to be Thursday night with the NFL draft. Uh, how interested in the NFL draft are you? Um, more than usual because I mean I think there's a of a decent, I don't know, maybe 20, 20 to 30% chance that it is just a, a technological disaster and <laughs> and everything falls apart and the wheels just fall off and nothing goes according to plan, um, which will be sort of frustrating if you let it. Otherwise, it'll just be, uh, um, you know, take it for what it is and, and enjoy it. Enjoy the circus, I guess. Um, uh- so I'm, I'm interested from both perspectives. I don't. Obviously, I'm interested in who the Browns take. I'll see who falls to them, and and that'll be all well and good. But um, yeah, no, I'm I'm looking forward to it for sure. I was going to say I asked that question having my own very specific answer in mind, and that is that as a Browns fan, not super excited about this, which is kind of surprising because like, what else do I have to really get excited about as a Cleveland sports fan right now? And the draft has historically been the Browns' high holy day of the year. Um, but I don't know if it's just the fact that all signs point to them probably taking an offensive tackle, which was a good, smart move, but like not exactly the most exciting thing. Um, or the fact that if they don't do that, there's a good chance that they're trading down, which again could be very smart, but again, not very exciting. So, as like a Browns fan, I'm kind of on the fence. Like, yeah, I'll watch it, but whatever. As a consumer of television content, I am a hundred percent with you in the ex- possibility that this thing goes completely off the rails. Um, I are we going to like see somebody's? Are they doing this thing over like Zoom or or how is this working? Do we know? No, I have no idea. I haven't. Admittedly, I haven't looked too much into it. I kind of want to go in blind. I kind of want to have no like background going in and just let them surprise me, get crazy. Um, But I also like. I heard today that they already had like they did a test run and they had some technical difficulties. Um, I also heard that they're not going to be like super strict about the clock, Um, like letting teams like work through trades if they need to give them a little bit more time. I don't know how exactly that's going to work. It'll obviously be. Uh, sounds like it'll be somewhat subjective, but um, yeah, I just want to see how they're going to do it. That's all I want. I think it's going to be entertaining. They have to have this thing on like a 30 second delay, right? I mean, you've heard these horror stories about, uh, you know, all the different companies and schools now that are relying on zoom, which by the way, how did, of all the video conferencing services, zoom has become just said this the other day. I said, it's become like the bandaid or Q-tip of video conferencing services where it's like, Everybody just, oh, you want to jump on Zoom? And we don't use Zoom here for for recording no. this. But uh, I had never, I'd never seen anyone actually use. I'd heard of it, like I knew what it was. I'd never actually like used one though. We've I mean, used it, it for was, my company for years, but um, it was just bizarre to me that that became like the go to option. Yeah, I feel like WebEx and like GoToMeeting and Skype like had much bigger. Like, how did Skype not take this? This guy has been doing this for like twenty years. Right, I don't know, man. It's wild. And, and yeah, you're right. Zoom got... just became the name for it. Right, and you know we've got like 
with our friends, we've done a couple of these now and we all jumped on zoom because somebody had like a company account that had like the unlimited time on it and stuff like and participants or whatever. Um, But like, you know, I know my, when uh, my wife jumped on with her friends, they did, I think through like Facebook messenger, you could do like group video on there or like if everybody's got an iPhone or iOS, you know, like an iPad or something, everybody could do a group FaceTime. So, I mean, there's plenty of other options out there. So yeah. How zoom jumped up to the top, by the way, funny side stories. We just completely uh, go off subject here. The week after that really became, you know, like all these shelter in place initiatives started really taking effect in video conferencing. Everybody like jumped to really rely on it. Uh If you looked at Zoom's stock price, it obviously like shot through the roof. There was also some other company that is also named Zoom, but they do something completely different that I think might have even been like bankrupt or something like that. This company was like not in good shape. Their stock price shot through the roof (laughs) to a a lesser degree from people buying the wrong stock just because, oh, that's got to be it. I'm going to buy up by that. And yeah, it was not the right Zoom. So uh, I don't know if the market has corrected itself in the few weeks since then, but at least in those first few days, that was that was hilarious. That's pretty funny. I didn't um, hear that, but yeah. Yeah. So anyway, with like with the NFL thing, you know, I mean, you've been hearing these horror stories about companies and classrooms and the government having their video chats hijacked and, you know, people putting up like, you know, violent content or like, you know, you know, mature stuff and all the kind of things that like, you know, as my daughter's doing daily Zoom meetings with her class, I'm kind of like, all right, I I hope we're taking all the right precautions over here because that could get messy real quick. Um, And shout out to the school district. They've done a a good job with that, Um, but nothing's foolproof. So, I mean, if like high level government meetings that are being done virtually have, you know, had people slip through the cracks who shouldn't be, I can't imagine the NFL is going to be bulletproof in that regard. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's not really possible to be completely bulletproof. I don't think, I mean, there's always going to be something that someone can figure out and exploit. Um, It's just matter. I think it's just a matter of how much of that stuff they're going to be leaning on. Like how much of it are we actually going to be able to see and how much of it is going to be sort of, you know, reported back to us and, and how much of it is going to be behind the scenes. I don't know. That's sort of why I don't want to like look beforehand. I kind of just want to go in because I feel like if I look, if I read how they're going to do it and I tell myself I'm not going to like it, then I will just end up not liking it. So if I go in blind, just like, all right, I'm going to make the most of it. Maybe it works out for me. I will say, I think you're on the right track with that because I can tell you on a, you know, slightly different area, but you know, in terms of like going in blind, I finally got around to watching that Tiger King documentary and Uh, stay with me here. I, I was really, I mean, I watched it. I went through the whole thing. I didn't do like the reunion, whatever thing they did after the fact. Yeah. I'm sure I'll get around to it eventually, but like, it was okay. It was kind of interesting, but I kind of felt like I knew too much. I waited like about two weeks too long to watch it because like the whole selling point of that was just the shock factor of how ridiculous all these people were 
And once you see all the memes, once you see all the jokes, once you see, you know, weeks of people, you know, losing their minds watching this stuff, you're kind of desensitized to it once you finally watch the show. So, um, yeah, if you want to, like, go in blind to the NFL draft, uh, sure. I don't uh, I don't blame you. Like, uh, you know, the other one that I, I uh, remember uh, two weeks ago. I was watching WrestleMania and it was spread out over two weeks. And I think we even talked about how terrible wrestling has been since they can't do things in front of crowds anymore. Um, and they had announced that like one of the matches was going to be this boneyard match. They didn't say anything about like what that is. And everybody's like, all right, so what is this going to be? So the first of the two nights they did WrestleMania, they did the last match. So like all these matches are taking place all night in their empty training facility, the performance center, I think they call it. And it's, you know, they're trying, but it's just, it's a, it's a freaking workout. It's a glorified gym with a ring in it and some led screens and and that's it. And, you know, it was kind of rough and they bring out this boneyard match and it was completely different from anything else. I don't, did you hear anything about this after the fact? No. No, oh my God. It all. was, it was incredible. So, they went and shot it off site in like some abandoned field. And I read afterwards that they like built this broken down uh, warehouse and, um, and they next to like a, a makeshift grave site that they built. And it ended up just being like this street fight, but it was basically out in the woods. And rather than having commentary, they had a musical score in the background and like the undertaker shows up. Well, first off you see this hearse, like pull up and this casket being brought out from the back and you're like, Oh, here's the undertaker's campy entrance or whatever. And the casket opens and it's his opponent instead, like mocking him. I'm like, all right, that was fun. Well, then the undertaker comes like riding down this lonely dirt road with Metallica playing. And they just went like completely over the top with it. And, um, you know, like explosions and in this, it was like this, they called it like a cinematic experience. And it's like, that's what you got to do with this stuff. Like, we're in weird times right now. Like, have fun. Think outside the box. And it's like why I love, like, what the NFL's doing. I'm sure, like, general managers are sweating bullets because, like, obviously their jobs are on the line. They've got very little information to work with with these prospects. But, like, this unpredictable television and, and unusual circumstances, like, let's get weird. It, you know, it I, it's fun for me. And, I, and that, to me, is, like, going to be – I think like what you said, probably the most interesting thing to watch on Thursday night. Oh yeah, for sure. I think that's, it definitely forces people to get a little more creative, I think. And like you said, sort of do something, you can't just do it the same way you're used to doing it and ignore the fact that there's no one there for it. Um, that's obviously not going to work. So yeah, I think, I think you're right. A lot of it is just see how they do make it different. It might not be something that like, like in this case, would that work repeatedly? Probably not, but it, it worked in this one-off case because it was different than what everybody's used to, and that's sort of what they wanted at this point. Right. Well, I will give them credit. Uh, the the wrestling, their next pay-per-view that's coming up here in May, it's their Money in the Bank, which is where they have like a ladder match with a briefcase hanging over the ring, and whoever like grabs the briefcase wins and basically can like get a title match whenever they want. They already announced what they're doing for that is they're putting the briefcase at the top of the company's headquarters on the roof 
and they're having the match at the company's headquarters starting on the ground floor of the building. And the guys are going to like have to like go through and climb the corporate ladder is like how they're selling this. And I'm like, you know what? Under normal circumstances, that would be the dumbest idea I've ever heard in my life. But like right now, why not? Like, what do you have to lose? Make it, make it fun and different. I'll tell you why I can't do it. Um, Personally. I'm pretty grossed out by like the way Vince McMahon handled the whole XFL thing. Um, filing bankruptcy, stiffing all those people, taking his money and going home. Um, can't really stomach putting money in Vince, McMahon, uh, Vince McMahon's pocket right now. Um, yeah, I don't blame you. I was really so. bummed out because I, I wanted to see them get to a second year with that. And it's it's sad because they really, I mean, we talked about that. What was that? Like when that when the league first started. I felt like they really did a good job of thinking through and making a, a better yeah, product. Came out of the gate pretty good, yeah. Yeah, and it, it even by the end, I know like they had lost a lot of interest, but like it was never the embarrassment that the first XFL was. They were making like an honest to god effort to put together a a decent product without like all the the carny bullshit. And uh, yeah, so to like not even get to see a full season and and no plans to bring it back that I was like, wow, that that's kind of rough. Yeah. I, I don't know. That's just not, a big, I don't know. Just left sort of a bad taste in my mouth, I guess. Um, not the first time Vince McMahon's done that to people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Probably won't be the last either. No. Um, no. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I, I'm with you. I, I feel like they, I don't know. I feel like just folding up and, and calling it was maybe a little, um, I'm not sure the term the term I'm trying to look for here, but maybe a little bit of an overreaction or a little too quick to do that. So I don't know. We'll see. Um, uh, I'm not. I'm honestly not totally sure that he ever wanted to get into that in the first place. Um, I kind of got the feeling that the uh, was it the AAFL or the AFL? What was the other one that was a while ago? The yeah, AAFL. AAFL. Yeah. Yeah, that one. I feel like when he saw that one, he's like, "Well, shit, I can do that." So I, I'll bring the XFL back and, you know, screw those guys. Um, I felt and then like when he that announced folded, it I feel first, like he could have been but... like, yeah, I feel like maybe he changed a little bit when he got closer to it. But ultimately, I don't know that he was really that into it in the first place. I think yeah. the, the, the speed with which he closed up shop probably speaks to that, too. Yeah. Well, hey, speaking of closing up shop, uh, anything else on your mind or uh, we good for tonight? No, I don't think I'm allowed to have more stuff in my mind at this point. There's nothing going on. There's like nothing to talk about. And yet somehow we went for like 45 minutes here. So yeah, I mean, we can do that on just about anything. That doesn't mean it's any good. I hope there's still people <laughs> listening to us, but yeah, they can't complain about the price. Yeah, um, exactly. You get what you pay for people. <laughs> All right. Well, as a reminder, uh, subscribe to our show on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We're on uh, TuneIn, Stitcher. Subscribe. Our, uh, you can also uh, stream us on waitingfornextyear.com. That's going to do it for us for this week. Uh, for Travis Julie, I'm Tom Valentino. It's been the nail in the coffin. We'll talk to you again soon. The Korean War has sadly been known as the Forgotten War, but half a century earlier, the United States was locked in a bloody conflict in Asia that's been all but erased from the history books. Hi, I'm Alex Hasty, the host of Ohio vs. the World, an American history podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. In our newest episode, we speak to experts about the Philippine-American War, 
America's first Asian counterinsurgency conflict. The heroes, the villains, We'll discuss President McKinley, Admiral Dewey, the vicious brutality of the fighting, and the scandals and war crimes that nearly sunk Theodore Roosevelt's presidency. Check out our show, Ohio vs. the World, on the Evergreen Podcast Network for our new episode about America's most forgotten war. Now back to the show. <laughs> 